to our text, I think you'll understand some of the reason for the hymns that were chosen for worship this morning. Turn with me to Psalm 22 as we continue our study in the book of Psalms. Appreciate Mason holding down the fort last Sunday and preaching through Psalm 20, working our way through portions of the book of Psalms and this morning, Psalm 22, I do believe, I know next Lord's Day, we're going to preach on Psalm 23 and then Psalm 24 before we take another little skip. This morning is Psalm 22. This is the Word of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and we're not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are. He who brought me forth from the womb, you made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, for you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. 
From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told to the Lord, told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he has performed it. That is God's word. Inspired, inerrant, and holy. It is a longer portion of text this morning. But I'm reminded again as I tell you once more of my college professor John, John Sanderson. Who said we'd probably do better with longer scripture readings and shorter sermons. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We're fascinated by this text before us this morning. We pray, O oh God, as we turn our attention to it, that you would, as always, be our teacher. That we would not be led by the words of any man, but only by the word of the living God. And I pray for that today. That you would open your word to our understanding that you would indeed guide us and direct us as we ponder this glorious text. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was thinking about as he died on the cross? Have you ever thought about what was going through Jesus' mind as he died that horrific death all we have are the seven words recorded for us that Jesus spoke as he hung there. For those who were putting him to death, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. To the repentant thief who also died on the cross that day, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. To Mary, he said, this is your son. And to John he said, this is your mother. In his darkest hour he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later he said, I thirst. Then again he said, it is finished. And finally he said, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. It, it seems clear that as Jesus died on the cross, as he was put to death, as he paid the price for your sin and for mine, they was meditating on Old Testament scripture. In particular, it seems to me that Jesus, as he died on the cross, was pondering this very text that is before us this morning, this great psalm, of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. One that 
clearly points to and describes in startling detail the suffering of Jesus on the cross. You know, for most of the Psalms, there is some historical situation or life experience from which the psalmist wrote, and many times to which we can point. But there is no situation or circumstance in David's life that matches what we find described here in Psalm 22. And so in this psalm, David is functioning as a prophet. is prophesying about the sufferings of Christ on the cross. He is prophesying about the crucifixion, and that is startling. Because in David's day, they didn't know anything about crucifixion. People were put to death then by stoning. But here David is writing as a prophet, and he prophesies of the suffering of Christ as he took our sin upon himself. And he prophesies of the glory of Christ as he rose from the grave to bring joy to his people and to gather them together in an everlasting kingdom. And so first this morning, we see a vivid description of the sufferings of Christ in the first 21 verses. Now there's a distinct alternating pattern here in the first half of this psalm where Jesus is going back and forth from expressing his suffering to then offering prayers to God for grace and sustenance during that suffering. Notice in verses 1 through 3, we find an expression of unmitigated horror. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This really is the most disturbing section of this psalm. And it reflects Jesus' darkest hour. It is hard for us to imagine. We really cannot wrap our minds around it. And yet while Jesus was on the cross, God the Father completely abandoned his son. It was at that moment that Jesus experienced the reality of hell for us. What is the essence of hell? It is to be completely cut off from God. To be plunged in the deepest darkness imaginable. To be cut off from any sense of grace or mercy. We say that Jesus paid it all. In fact, we're going to conclude our service in a bit by singing that hymn. Jesus paid it all. And he did. Including suffering the very agony of hell itself being separated from the presence and the mercy and the grace of his father. And you can feel it in his voice. You can hear it in his words. My God, my God. Why? Why have you forsaken me? That separation from his father. 
was exasperated by the fact that when Jesus cried out for help, he didn't answer. When Jesus cried out for help on the cross, all he received was silence. Look at what the text says. Far from my deliverance, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. They're separated. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Jesus cries out to God, but no one answers. Years ago, I was, I did a foolish thing. I do that every once in a while. Years ago, I went hunting by myself. It's not a good thing. I did a ladder stand in the woods. And I stayed too long. Until it got too dark. And then I couldn't find my way back to the road that was to take me to my truck. Now I have a very poor sense of direction in the woods. And I go terribly unprepared but I was lost I was turned around and I panicked and I began to cry out for someone to help me knowing no one could hear and all I got back was silence now it's obvious I did eventually stumble upon the road that led me back to my truck. But for a few seconds, I had this startling awareness that I was alone and no one could hear me. That's just a small fraction of what Jesus experienced on the cross that day when he realized that even though he cried out, his father wasn't there. His father had turned his face away from him. And he did not respond. His groaning and his deliverance seemed as though they were miles apart. He got no answer to his prayer. He had no rest for his soul. But in that darkest hour, Jesus remembered something. He remembered the faithfulness of God. He remembered that God is faithful. And he remembered God's faithfulness to his people in the past. Look at verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. This is the first alternating back and forth. You are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Jesus remembered the Lord's past grace to his people. His promise that he would not forsake his own. In order to sustain his own faith in this dark hour. What a lesson the Lord Jesus gives to us. For in our times of darkness and despair, when we feel like maybe no one's there, 
when we're alone and in need, remember that God is faithful. Remember his faithfulness to his people in the past. That they cried out and he delivered them. Well, in verses 6 through 8, Jesus, we find Jesus being scorned and mocked. He says, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men that despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. The crucifixion was dehumanizing. Jesus said he felt more like a worm than a man. He can't get much lower than a worm. But that's how Jesus felt. The people who saw him in this miserable condition heaped scorn on him. He was a reproach to them. They despised him. They sneered at him. They hissed at him. They shook their heads at him in disgust. They mocked him. To them, you see, he was subhuman, beneath compassion, beneath mercy, deserving ridicule. And my, did they ever let him have it. It's interesting, isn't it? How much of what we find in Psalm 2 is exactly what we find recorded in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. But again, here's another alternating pattern. In his time of darkness, Jesus remembered the faithfulness of God. Now he thinks of God's faithfulness to him personally in his own life. Verses 9 through 11. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. You see, not only did Jesus gain strength in his time of need from remembering God's faithfulness to his people in the past, but he gained that strength from remembering God's faithfulness to him personally in his own life. Isn't it interesting? He takes us all the way back to the time in his mother's womb. And the time when he was at his mother's breast. Why? Why that? Because when is a child, anyone more helpless and needy, more dependent than that? And God, or Jesus reminds himself, even when I was in my mother's womb, when I was at her breast, you sustained me. And from that, Jesus took encouragement that God indeed would sustain him in this time of need as well. In your times of need, don't forget that God's been faithful to you throughout your life. So easy, isn't it, to focus on the negative and forget the positive. Remember God's faithfulness to you. How over and over again He enables you to trust Him. Remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then in verses 12 through 18, we find a description of Jesus' physical suffering. Let me read it again. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. 
They open wide their mouth at me. As a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. What a vivid description of Jesus' helpless feeling on the cross during the crucifixion. He's described there, his enemies are described as wild and ravenous animals who are bent on his destruction. He, he's exhausted, completely spent physically and emotionally. All his energy is gone. There's nothing left in the tank. He has no reserves on which to call. And you know, when you see the description in verse 15, saying, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. It's no wonder, Jesus said from the cross, I thirst. Jesus' body was completely emaciated. He was so thin, his bones protruded to where you could count them. He was so grotesque. The people stared at him. But once again, Jesus turned his attention away from himself and onto God to gain new strength. And now he looks to God for help in the future. Verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. For my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild ox. You answer me. It's a cry to God for him to intervene and rescue him. You have to remember that when Jesus died on the cross, it was still in his human nature and in his human body. He, he felt all the physical pain and all the emotional shame that was heaped upon him. He experienced the betrayal, the anger, the animosity, the hostility. You know, he knew... He knew the night before how bad it would be. Because remember, he, he prayed, My God, if it be possible, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. And it was just as bad, if not worse, than Jesus had expected. And yet he knew as bad as it was, his Father would deliver him from it one way or another. Note the confidence with which he expresses it at the end of verse 21. You answer me. Verse 21 is the transition verse in this psalm. In fact, that phrase at the end of verse 21 actually says, You did hear me, or you have answered me. God did hear his pleas for cry or his cries and pleas for help from the cross.
God did deliver him. You say, well, he died on the cross. He, he wasn't delivered. Yes, he was. He wasn't delivered from the cross itself, but he was delivered from death itself and the grave. You see, at this point, beginning with verse 22, the, song, the tone of the psalm changes completely. Despair gives way to hope. Death gives way to life. Tragedy turns to triumph. Sorrow gives way to joy. The darkness passes and he becomes aware of God's presence and favor again. Before we look at just a few of the details of this last section, I want you to notice here this, this tone in this last section of joyful worship. And we assume that the, the transition from verse 21 to verse 22 from the first half to last half reflects Jesus' experience on the cross to now the response to his resurrection. Now there's this wonderful tone of victory, of joy, of worship, and of celebration. You see, that's the motivation for our worship, isn't it? Why are you motivated to worship? I tell people about you, about North Point. I don't know of anybody here who just comes because it's Sunday. I don't know of anybody who, who comes just because it's the thing to do on Sunday. As far as I know, everyone here is here because you're motivated to be here. Not obligated, motivated. What is your motivation? What is our motivation? Why are we here? It's because of what we find in Psalm 22. That Jesus died in our place, took our sin upon himself, paid the debt we could not pay, and then rose in victory to give us the ability and the power not just to worship him, but to serve him and to live our lives for him. The blessed assurance that you and I have as believers is that this crucified and risen Savior now calls us his brothers. Look at verses 22 and 23. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Do you see the dramatic shift between the first section and the second? From one who was despised and forsaken of men, who had been forsaken by his father, who was scorned and mocked, who was emaciated and gaunt. He's now one to be praised, one to be worshipped, one to be glorified, one before whom people should stand in awe. You see, that's the blessed privilege of the church. That's why we're here, to glorify and to praise and to exalt the, the marvelous name of our crucified and risen Savior. Verse 24 tells us that God did not despise him or abhor him, and even though he was for a time forsaken on the cross, God did not hide his face from him permanently. No, God 
did hear and answer. Now the rest of this psalm, verse 25 through the end of to verse 31, is really just an exhortation to the people of God to worship the Lord. He speaks in, in this passage of the great assembly of God's people, praising Him, paying their vows to Him, seeking Him, praising Him, their hearts being full of joy forever. And this section of the psalm makes it clear that God's kingdom is a universal kingdom. That the message of Christ's death and resurrection, the, the psalm says, goes to the ends of the earth. It'll include families of all the nations. Look at verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Now verse 29 brings the scope of that kingdom down to a more personal level. Shows it includes all kinds of people. The prosperous, he says. And the poor. Those who go down to the dust. The spiritually dead. Even who cannot keep his soul alive. You see, the gospel really is the power of God for everyone who believes. We're all on equal footing as we stand before the cross because all of us come to salvation the same way all who came before us and all who will come after us enter the kingdom the same way look at verses 30 and 31 posterity will serve him it will be told of the Lord to the coming generation they will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. What will be declared to the posterity, to the generation yet to come? It is the last phrase of that psalm that he has performed it, that he has done it. Reflects Jesus' last words from the cross where he says, It is finished. It is done. God has performed it. He's accomplished it. He's done it. There's nothing you can add to it. If you go to an art museum and you see this wonderful painting, it's just as it ought to be. You don't ask for a can of paint and a brush and add something to it there's nothing left to add folks there's nothing left to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ Jesus did it all that's the great message of Psalm 22 it's amazing isn't it Defines such a clear presentation of the gospel right here in the Old Testament. There's only been, always only been one way to salvation, and that's through faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave Himself for us. I leave you this morning with the words of one of our great hymns Man of Sorrows, what a name! 
for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Say it with me. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray this morning you would encourage us by this great song to remind us of the finished work of Jesus. On him we depend. In him we trust. We thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.